one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times second captain pod, second captain's podcast. Good start by me, Owen. How are you, Ken? Are you going to be a bit more flawless than that? I'm good, Owen. I'm I'm good. I promise to be flawless. Delighted to be here. Yeah. I was at the Ireland game yesterday with my girlfriend, uh, and I was trying to fill in the boring bits yeah. by imparting trivia about the players involved. You know, to show off the depth of knowledge I have about the guys out there. Right. Although it did okay, take yeah. me a while to go. I was like, Who's that left back for England? <laughs> but uh, other than that, it was that Ryan. Was Champions League winner Ryan. Exactly, Bertrand. and it took me a while to twig that. So uh, luckily. Those thoughts remain in my head. But I was saying, uh, yeah, Rooney there, um, two goals off the all-time England goal-scoring record there, Rebecca. Oh, yeah. She um, feigned interest in that stat. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's great. There was no follow-up question from her, so I followed up myself and I said, do you want to know who holds the record? Oh, who? Guess. People love people love when you tell them to guess stuff that they're not really that interested in. And the best thing about this conversation, Owen, is that I was at the game too, and the atmosphere was so quiet that all, all the people in the seats around you could hear this conversation. Well, there's actually there was a little bit of liveliness in front of me because it was a Dutch stag party. I think they were Dutch. Right. I, I actually saw footage of them on their way into the stadium on TV later on. Uh, I was thinking, I'm going to be picked up by the cameras here. I'm behind this Dutch stag party, all in not quite leprechaun gear, but sort of actually quite slick, well, quite well, they look like reasonably well tailored, but totally green suits. Right, okay. Uh, they're all in front of me. So there's a little bit of, a little bit of life around me and quite a lot of American tourists sitting behind. They all probably thought they were coming along to see a bit of, you know, yeah. police with billy clubs, tear gas and all that kind of they stuff. They want to get close enough to a bit of trouble, but not actually be right in the middle of it, I would imagine, but it didn't quite happen for them. As a sporting event, it reminded me a little bit of baseball in terms of, you know, the way baseball is kind of designed just to provide a backdrop for yeah. people to sit and chat. It was a bit like that. It was like sports content backdrop. Yeah. Oh, the Americans behind me, there was a lot of, so what happens if this goes to, if this stays at nil-nil? They said impatiently after 20 minutes and somebody goes, oh, oh it's okay, we, we get shots at that stage, uh, I presume, penalty shootout. And then they were corrected by their more knowledgeable mate going, no, it just ends. It just ends and we, we all go home. <laughs> Everyone just files out of here in, in very, uh, well, in this well-cordoned stadium or uh, stadium with plenty of security. Anyway, I'm back to my uh, conversation, Ken. I haven't got to the end here. Yeah. So I asked Rebecca to guess who, who the top goal scorer is of all time. Don't, yeah. don't know, she says. Her enthusiasm for the subject waiting you as the question's gone. And I said, listen. Why don't I'll, you tell me, Owen? No, I, I jazzed it up, Ken. I said, I'll give you a clue. We've seen his brother on the pitch today before the game, right? And she said, Gareth Rooney. 
She go, no, she says, Phil Neville. Because we'd seen Gary Neville warming up. And I said, no, Bobby Gary Jordan. Gary Neville. Brother, Gary Neville was warming the team up, yeah. Oh, of course. He's, he's one of the coach. coaches. Yeah, yeah, so it's actually, just, uh, in a yeah. way, it was a, an astounding guess. But she said, her, she did say this with, I mean, she couldn't believe that Phil Neville would be the highest goal scorer ever in English football herself. Yeah. But she, she had definitely seen his brother yeah. only about five feet from us. Once you have ruled out the impossible, whatever remains, however <laughs> improbable, must be true. Yeah. Yeah, well, but, she didn't know that Jack Charlton had a brother. The Jack Charlton moment was nice. It was. It's strange. It's kind of strange when you have a figure like that who you haven't seen in a long time. Certainly in person. He's popped up on various TV documentaries and radio documentaries, but you, uh, I haven't seen the guy in a stadium in so many years. And even in more recent years, he hasn't been appearing uh, that particularly regularly. It was very nice, but it's this weird throwback. You're immediately having these feelings, these nostalgic feelings about when our team used to be really good. It was nice mainly because... It seemed Jack Charlton seemed to be quite affected by it, and he was kind yeah. of he was he was kind of covering his face at one point, and he was uh, he was kind of looking around, and uh, I don't know. He seemed surprised that everybody was excited to see him, which maybe he was maybe it was just a bit of false modesty from Jack Charlton, but it, it was uh, it was the best thing probably about the about certainly the, the best thing about the game. But I do I brought up Sporting Brothers for a reason, uh, Ken, oh, yeah? because the younger sibling of your favorite ever hurler. Scored a goal. This might have escaped your attention. There was so much football going on, but a goal that his big brother would have been proud of. Waterford's Dan the Shan Jr. Dan the Man Shanahan Jr.'s younger brother. What's the label goal? Morris Shanahan. Morris, yeah, I saw this. He's been around for a while, but uh, and he's a superb player. But this goal was extraordinary. Yeah, he um, he got the ball. Uh, he made a diagonal run to the left, and then he applied considerable violence to the ball, and it flew <laughs> into the top right hand corner of the net. Uh, Probably improved in its picture book way by the uh, Cork goalie flinging his uh, hurl at the ball, uh, but uh, being unable to stop it. Yeah, it was, the, the only good. thing better than the keeper flinging uh, Anthony Nash flinging his hurl at the ball would have been him remaining totally stationary. It rarely happens in hurling. It's the odd time you might see it in soccer where a goalkeeper just says, oh! often with a header into the far corner. Yeah. I mean, what's the point in moving? Slightly that would look spectacular if a hurler just if a hurling goalkeeper did that. Amazing goal, but. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about that and talk about Water beating Cork and a little while Malachy Clerkin and Owen Kelly. The football podcast is out now and we talked so much about John Delaney with Emmett Malone during that that we didn't actually mention a huge amount in terms of the specifics of the game yesterday. Not an amazing match game. We don't have to rake over too much of it. I mean, the ITV football Twitter account who were covering the game did apologise to supporters at the end. Roy Hodgson didn't like that. Did he not? No, he said, um, oh, really? He said, well, I've got no comment to make on that. That's something, something that basically said, ITV have apologised, Roy, for screening that game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I've got no comment. Another one of their tweets was, five things we've learned about today's game from today's game. It was one, two, three, four, five, blank in each case. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't really a lot. I mean, it was... So, somebody witty was in charge of that account. Maybe somebody who's not going to be in charge of the account for much longer. Ah, uh, they, they, you know, probably got a few retweets, I imagine. The, um, isn't that the aim of the game? Just mm. like, just get as many retweets as possible, regardless of the content of what you're saying. Doesn't, <laughs> the content doesn't matter. It just matters whether people... Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, the, uh, not a lot sticks out in my memory. I mean, Robbie Brady's uh, free kicks are still still good. I'd have them in the team. Well, they're better than they were. Robbie Brady, uh, I think people forget, had a, struggled even with his set pieces last time out. I thought he had a bad game against Poland because he, he eventually delivered a good corner. People were, uh, in fairness, he did stick to his task and improved a little bit as the game went on. People were very generous towards him. I, I would say if that was a guy who'd been in that position for many years, they'd be saying, what, that was a shocking performance. Mm. But I thought he was very good yesterday. Defensively, you're still a bit worried. Was he still playing? I think, yeah, I think he was still there at left back uh, when Townsend came on. 
Certainly Townsend caused uh, caused Ireland a lot of problems down that wing. Um, but McGeady, I thought, was very good. Mm. McGeady Defensively is. getting stuck in. A few lion-hearted sliding t- challenges. Not the Aidan McGeady staple. Yeah, and he had a few nice little touches. I mean, you know... I, don't, I hesitate to say the dread words "final ball," <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know he did. He did. Uh, he did produce some nice touches. Yeah, so maybe he's in good form. I mean, I, I would have liked to actually see Shane Long play the game from the start, to be honest, because um, I don't know. Well, it, it remains to be seen who Martin Nunez is going to go for. Martin Nunez is going to go for against Scotland. I suppose training this week is going to help him make up his mind on that. But given that. The only argument anyone could make to justify what we'd all just experienced afterwards was, well, the players needed that. It's been a few weeks in some cases since these players have had a game and they they really needed that game. (laughs) Um, Then maybe Shane Long also needed the game and I would have liked to see him get a game because I suspect that he's going to be involved, um, whether from the start or as a substitute against Scotland, whereas I'm not not so sure about Daryl Murphy and, and McGoldrick. I mean, maybe... Okay, Martin O'Neill wants to see what they can do, wants to give them an opportunity against a, a big team, you know, big opposition. Um, but I think Shane Long maybe would have appreciated the game. Harry Arthur was, was decent when he came on. Yeah. You know, he, he had a couple of nice moves. With the, that one where I think he might have dispossessed the player and then he was bearing down a goal, took a shot, which went narrowly wide to the keeper's left. At the, it's one of those funny things. At the stadium, where you should have the best view, I, I thought... I mean, there was no other option but to shoot there. He had to shoot. He was dead right. And then you watch a TV replay and you see this player streaming on either side, both mm. in probably better positions than he is. Hey, you Just know. watch matches on television. That's the lesson. Mm. It happens, you know, sometimes. I mean, then Barcelona wasted a couple of five-on-three breaks against Juventus. Mm. Luis Suarez wasted one. You'd expect him to be able to pick out one of the four men in the box, but he decided he wanted the... Uh, glory instead so sometimes that happens Well the Women's World Cup has begun it started at the weekend with 53,000 fans in Edmonton's Commonwealth Stadium on Saturday that was uh, Canada's opening game the opening game of the tournament largest crowd ever to watch a national team in any sport in the country we'll get to that a little later in the show Owen Kelly is on the line and Maliki Clerken is in studio Maliki how are you? All right, don't. You seem to enjoy the game yesterday. I was reading your your reports both in the front and then uh, inside mm. the the Irish Times Sports section today. There's something about this Waterford team you quite like. I think they're very enjoyable. Yeah, I think they're. Um, you know, you're the more of the the championship you get into, and the more of the beat you go around, you meet different teams, and they all have their own personalities. Um, I, I, but those personalities are kind of planned by circumstance. You know that. You find some very serious teams or teams that are trying to be very serious and and don't seem to have an awful lot of, you know, in, in their normal life, these guys all have personalities, but they, they try and, you know, don't really play and and express them. Whereas the, this Waterford side, because they're so young, um, like Derek McGrath was saying afterwards yesterday, that 14 of the panel are, are going off now to play for the under-21s against Cork yeah. on Wednesday week. Like, they... Their their age profile is so young, um, they can't really help it. You know, they 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 play uh, like like the big thing that 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 uh, we've said about them is that they play to this system and and it's um it, it's sort of their their big selling point. But within it, they play with real abandon, like the likes of Austin Gleeson and Tyg de Burka, uh breaking out of defence. Like Tyg de Burka scored a point off his knees. Or fell forward onto his knees after he scored his point yesterday. It like hit it from midfield. All this kind of hurling from the ends of the earth. You know, Colin Dunford, who's I'm not sure he's even twenty. Um, at one point yesterday, he scored a point in the second half where 
he, he got the ball, he had about a five-yard start on Daniel Carney, who's one of Cork's fastest players, um, and absolutely left him for dead uh, under, the, uh, under the new stand there, uh, to the point where he was about 40 yards from goal and hadn't, wasn't even shaping to shoot yet, and Carney kind of gave up the ghost. Um, and non, you could all, almost go, well, he was nearly right to give up the ghost because he was only a waste of energy chasing after him. And just the players like that, are, and, and like Morris Shanahan is, is, you know, because he wears a helmet, um, he could be his brother, you know. He, he, he's playing exactly like like his brother played in 2007. That goal yesterday was from Waterford 2007. Yeah, we've been talking we, a little bit, a bit, a bit about it earlier. Ken, yeah. Ken's new favourite player is Morris Shanahan. It was Dan <laughs> Shanahan. It's now transferred a few years later exactly, to Morris. Exactly, yeah. And, you, and you're always loath to kind of compare uh, elder siblings and younger siblings or whatever. But, like, it was there in front of our eyes yesterday. And uh, it, they're they're a lot of fun to be around. And they have... You can see that they have a serious bond with each other and with their manager, and it's it's really enjoyable to to be near. Oh, and Kelly, you enjoyed that Mar Shanahan thunderbolt. Oh, I did. Look, it was it was a serious score. We'll say even Morris, uh, he snuck in behind the defender, caught the ball, and just turned and, and stuck it in the back of the net. Like, and it just tells you, we'll say, um, you know, he just had the presence of mind to get in behind the defender. Like, you know, what I mean, and that's the easiest way for any. Uh, any forward or any even defender to actually catch a ball to be in behind him and he probably just slightly played his hurley referee wouldn't have seen it because he slightly played it and the finish was unbelievable and oh look they're bringing something fresh to the championship and even listen to Derek McGrath this morning on the radio he was saying where going in on the team bus uh, they played a motivation video which was all about uh, Padraig O'Mahony and he felt that that actually worked against the players for the first 10 or 15 minutes that they were emotionally probably drained after it and for even a manager to say what's going on on the team bus is you know it's 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 fresh for everybody to hear like everybody involved in the hurling championship and uh, they're great they're really uh, they're really setting the world on fire and everyone is kind of loving the way they play but the only thing uh Cork and Cork traditionally even haven't played against them. You'd never come out of a Cork game black and blue. And uh, that's the one thing I find with Cork. They're ball players, they're hurlers, natural hurlers. And there's bigger challenges for this uh, Waterford team to face down the road. But playing Cork and they've beaten them twice, obviously in the league final and yesterday. And Jimmy Ryan Murphy said, look, we played them twice, they've beaten us twice, they're a better team. But uh, kind of the way Waterford are playing at the minute is kind of suiting that kind of non-contact hurling maybe they're, they're getting from other teams. So, look, there's bigger challenges down the road, but look, everyone loves watching them and, um, you know, they're, they're really lighting up the championship. Yeah, that is interesting about the type of challenge mm. presented by Cork, Malky, but you were nodding your head in agreement there at uh, Derek McGrath, the characterisation by owner of Derek McGrath, somebody who's way more honest than we might expect managers to be in the GA these days. Yeah, and I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nearly low. Nearly don't want don't to even talk bring it up. About yeah, it let's let, let him keep it because, up. Because uh, you know, we, God love. It. Hopefully, he'll be in the job for many years, and he'll stay like this the whole time. Um, but yeah, like he, you know, we do the the, the sort of the post match huddle around the manager thing after every match, um, and you know, we were on Jimmy yesterday, and Jimmy's great. Like win, lose, or draw. Jimmy fronts up, he answers all your questions, but he's very snappy delivery. Uh, you can see that he wants to get out of there as quick as he as he can, whether, again, whether he win, win loses or draw, but he's a total gentleman and a total professional. Um, but you get about three and a half minutes at the outside. 
of mm-hmm. of of questions. Um, Derek stood there for. I was looking at the tape at the end. It was about twelve and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end yesterday, like twelve and a half minutes, I could go and write a three thousand word feature on. You know, <laughs> like it's. <laughs> and he was just interested, in, and he took every question and thought about it and answered it, and he he was great. You know, he um, he he at one stage said. Uh, Somebody said, well, it's been a dream season for you. And he says, yeah, geez, I better get out. So maybe I should say I have health issues and I'm walking away from the game. You know, he's a bit of crack. He takes it seriously. But through it all, there's a a real, you get a real sense of the borderline love he has for these boys that he has playing with him. Like he's had them since they were his pupils in school. You know, he won... Uh, colleges all Ireland's with a few of them like they he he has such real affection for them and you can see it in him um and yet people are still doubting him somewhat uh, not necessarily doubting him but refusing to maybe believe that this team can go on from here one of the the refrain afterwards to him by yeah. everybody it seemed was at least yeah, at least you're guaranteed an All-Ireland quarterfinal now I mean you'll probably lose the Munster final yeah. but you'll be in an All-Ireland quarter I know yeah and he was he was raging he says even my father said that to me out in the field there you know um and look, there's 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 truth to it, you know. Owen's right, you know. They won't they won't keep running into teams who either underestimate them or let them play their game. You know, they're going to come across a couple of elite teams along the way, and they're going to be they they are very young boys, and they are going to be introduced to men's hurling. I suppose, yeah. And, and yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they do that. I suppose, Owen, we did see it to an extent with Wexford last year who beat Waterford in one of the really exciting qualifier games and had a few great results but eventually came unstuck. You like to think these young teams can can operate off the enthusiasm that they have and go as far as they can. Oh, that's it. Like, look, um, look, and Derek will be realistic with this thing too. Like, you know what I mean? I'd say he will know in his heart and soul that there's Definitely a monster final here to be won uh, for the team. You know what I mean? Another bit of silver. They're there now. They're sitting back. They can prepare forward. But, um, you know, Wexford kind of would be this traditionally more physical team than your Corks. We say Wexford or Limericks. Okay, Kenny, they'd be all that bit more physical. But the one thing with the way Watford are, 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 are after introducing the younger players is that they've no fear. They've no baggage of playing any of these teams. They've no defeat maybe under the belt of these teams. Like, and you know, like they are the fittest team in the league, and they've seemed to be carrying that into the championship. They're young. You even see Patrick Cullen came on with his first touch point. Shane Bennett came on with his first touch point so like he's even in the last three or four weeks since the league final he has two new guys introduced like and I think when you have guys that young and he started back in October with that young of a panel you can run them up and down mountains and that's why their work ethic is so good and that's why they're chasing so much because they just have it in the tank youth just brings its own, ex- its own exuberance and he's even introducing more players he's after freshening up his team and panel even since the league final four or five weeks ago and not, not many managers have that luxury unless you're someone coming back from injury so he's he's in a great position, like and what he's building and even has built in the last five weeks is a squad and I see him similar to even Galway after the weekend. Galway seemed to have a squad. When I mean squad I mean twenty players mm. you can realistically use. Uh, I think Tipperary too have a squad, but Cork show yesterday they don't they don't have that twenty. If they have one or two injuries off their 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 fifteen, they will struggle, you know. And uh it look it's brilliant. I I'm really enjoying this Waterford team and they're going to cause serious problems 
um, for whoever they meet in this Munster final. There seems to be a general acceptance uh, based on what I've been reading over the last day or so, Maliki, since the game, that Cork are gone, really, that they're not going to provide a threat later on in the year. And Nicky English said as much today in his Irish Times column. Is that a little bit dangerous given the level of talent that they undoubtedly have? Well, or is there a doubt? Am I being I think a bit there kind is of them a there? bit yeah. of a doubt. You know, it's funny. I was sitting beside um, Dennis Walsh from the Sunday Times at the, at the game yesterday. And Dennis is very, very deep in the Cork club scene down there, you know, and with 20 minutes to go, I was kind of looking through the subs bench and I was going, right, who, who are they going to bring on here? Who's going to who's going to win it for them? And like he was pointing at Paddy O'Sullivan, who eventually came on, but he's going, I don't know, and he ran his finger down through them and like um, uh, Darren McCarthy that came on uh, and scored a point, um, he was the sub goalkeeper last year. Uh, and you know, asked to be considered an outfield player this year. Um, Stephen Moylan was on the bench. He came on and scored a goal in the All Ireland two years ago, but hasn't really kicked on. Jamie Collin was the big thing about three, four years ago. Hasn't really kicked on. Guys like William Egan has fallen off the panel altogether. You know th- that Cork seem to have flooded. Uh, you know, I'd love to see the amount of players actually who have played league and championship for Cork over the last maybe three, four years in Jimmy's time. It's got to be up around 50, 60. Like they have tried an awful lot of players and not all of them have stuck. Um, they re- I, I, I was going to say that they really missed Seamus Harnedy yesterday and I think they did, even though Patrick Cronin, who came in for him, was their best player. But I still think that they missed Harnedy's his desire in the air, his 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 absolute, you know, sort of hatred of not being in the game. You know, Conor Lehan scored a brilliant point after three minutes. I don't know if he touched the ball again for the next hour almost, you know. Uh, he fell out of the game. Patrick Horgan got into it a little bit, went out of it. Luke O'Farrell got into it, went out of it. They... <laughs> They obviously have players in a game, if there's going to be a game, like they were still only two points down with four minutes of injury time to go yesterday. You know, they will still be able to put up a score. Um, but I don't know, There's they're not convincing in any way and they haven't been convincing in a while. Yeah, Dublin were even less convincing on Saturday night, Owen. And I don't know if anyone knows what quite what to make of their performance. Anthony Daly was on the Sunday game last night saying that this... Uh, seems to happen to them. It's happened to them a couple of times when he's played for them that they just have a performance. Every team plays badly from time to time, but they have a performance that's so inexplicably below their standards that he never knew where they actually came from. Yeah, look, I mentioned a couple of teams already that I find don't don't have a squad. In my opinion, I put Dublin into that category now. I don't think they have twenty. I think when you look into your sub bench there, you're wondering, right? I'll replace this guy for this guy now. Plus, the last night was Eamon Dillon and Keane Boland when they came on. I'd be starting them two guys now, just put them in. Because what I found with Dublin is this team is undergoing on the go now four or five years, to be honest with you. There's not much fresh blood into it. Like Mark Shute, okay, you know, he was well marshaled the weekend, but they got their chance against uh, Galway and Coke Park last weekend. I think David Tracy will he'll feel horrible probably, even, even this morning, thinking back to that. And I think he's disappointed after that free and he's, he's low, low in confidence. But he brought that with him into Tullamore, we'll say, at the weekend, you know. But, look, they set up probably all wrong against that breeze, you know what I mean? We'll say they, they should have really defended, trying to try to defend that because it was a fierce, strong breeze in Tullamore. But 
Um, I'm not convinced with this, with this Dublin team. I can't see him and All Ireland in them or even getting to the the, the, the All Ireland final. So I think they're going to have a short enough season, uh, bar to get maybe a home draw. But and yet, on they do seem to get rated every year. I mean, is there an argument that the, the Dublin hurlers are actually more overhyped than the Dublin footballers? Yeah, well, I think they've been rated this year on the back of probably their first two wins in their league, which was against Tipperary and against Kilkenny. And then they had a bit of a lull in the in the league, and then I suppose their their semi final against Cork was uh, which was a great game to watch for everybody, and it was high scoring and it was you know, free flowing enough. But um, no, I just think they haven't introduced kind of no player that kind of seems to be setting the the, the world on fire. We'll say, and um, if you were going back back to the drum with the same kind of players, you know, when when you've had hard defeats before, and when you go on maybe a couple of goals down area. Like I think there's just there's probably a bit, bit of baggage there of, of having been on the end of a few hidings and that, and it, it doesn't help, you know. But uh, I like Dublin were poor, but Galway didn't let them play. I, I like to look at this Galway team this year, like, and I think they're the most probably one of the most physical teams that are in the championship this season. Back to the way they were in 2012, and if you remember 2012, probably what cost the, the imagination of how Galway played that year was the block by Fergal Moore on Conor Nehan uh, when he was shooting into the, the Hill 16 end, in, and he broke totally across them. Legitimate tackle, but Galway have that uh, tenacity and that aggression in their play this year, and a lot of those Galway guys are over six foot, and the guys that have to come back into the team as the year goes on, the David Burke, he's he's not a small man. Conor Cooney is a big man. Niall Burke is a big man. And even Niall Healy. So when I mention Galway as serious contenders, it's because they, they have a squad built now and they're playing at an aggression level that the likes of Water would even find tough if they played in road, if they play with those aggression levels, which they seem to have until the more last weekend. Just back to Dublin, Malachy, is it, is it just that they that people expect more of them than they're actually capable of necessarily I mean this is a particularly bad performance Donald Logue did a nice piece again in the Sunday game where he showed the start of the game Paul Shute ended up having a disaster in the first mm-hmm. half kind of ambling towards his position he was still around about midfield when the ball was being thrown in which seemed crazy that's the kind of stuff that we've probably all been involved in those games where, where lads do that but not at the, at the level we're talking about here uh, yeah. So what, was it a case that they just seemed to have their eye off the ball or are they just not that good a team No, I think that they, they are they're probably a level below um, the the real elite teams. Um, but the reason you ask why they get mentioned every year, mm. they get mentioned every year because they do they do take a scalp here and there. They do put it up. They do perform here and there. Um, but Saturday night was a fiasco. Uh, I, I'm not sure they even got it across uh, well enough on TV either on the night or on the Sunday game last night the real strength of that wind on Saturday night like if you I walked across the pitch um, afterwards uh, to go over to uh, get the quotes outside the dressing room like your eyes would water walking across the pitch and they set up with a full back line I, I wrote this in the paper today a full back line with an under 21 at cornerback who was playing his third game in six days Mick Carton at full back playing his first ever championship game as a starting full-back. And uh, Paul Schutte, coming back from an ankle ligament injury that had made him miss the the game, the drawn game, six days beforehand. And they didn't put anybody in front of them to uh, protect them. Uh, and not even that, their half-back line pushed up uh, on, onto midfield. 
And the like Colin Callanan's puck outs, as we saw for the third goal, were landing in the D, landing on the 20 yard line and bouncing. Like it was a fiasco the way they set up the other night, um, and it didn't didn't give those players a chance to be to be any good. Uh, I, I mean, I'd level that at, at the management as much as uh, really. The you're blaming the management more than the players. I, I just thought that the way, like, you've got to give yourself a chance if you're playing into a, into a wind like that. You've got to you've got to try and make it to half time within five six points. You can't go man on man and give uh, forwards. And these are serious forwards. Cahill Mannion, Jason Flynn and Joe Canning basically went man-on-man inside the opposition 45. Like, that's ridiculous with a strong win behind behind the goalkeeper. That's insane. Um, but they, like, Dublin, I think they're kind of done for the year as well. I don't see them really coming back from this. I think Owen is exactly right. Like, uh, the way the way I would describe them is that is that they're an anagram of Anthony Daly's team. He has moved, moved the pieces around a little bit, but... As for fresh blood, their freshest blood is Darrell O'Connell, uh, who's playing for them, uh, who's from Kerry, actually. Yeah. And, you know, he scored a couple of points the other night and he was he was handy, but I, I don't see it. I'm, I'm just looking forward to the Dublin Cork All-Ireland Final <laughs> know, preview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just pretty much play this entire slot and, and, and take it from there. Just last word to you, Owen, on that, that uh, the, the role management had to play in failing to set Dublin up to give them a chance to actually withstand Galway. Well, I would say that from the Dublin point of view, and I think Maliki has just said it, I won't repeat it, but uh, I would compliment Anthony Cunningham. He smelt blood and he went for it from the off. He went for it in his interview. He went for it, I'd say, when he eyeballed Jerry Cunningham getting off that bus. He said, we're going for you. And he has unearthed, well, they were playing last season, well, two gems in Pahal Mannion and Jason Flynn. And that's even before you mentioned Joel. Like those two corner forwards, they're leggy, they're six foot one or two. But they have searing pace, like they've burning pace, and at this level, uh, like Cahalmanian got a score the week before in Crow, where he got the ball, turned his man, put it on the stick, sort of forty yards. Shane Durkin lifting the lurch, and he just off the stick over the bar. So they're matching pace and size with hurling ability. And I think previously you've seen these kind of players wear the black and amber jersey, and these two players with an anchorman of Joe in the middle, like that's a serious. Um, full forward line and the luxury of those two guys they can play out in the wings as well Like so like he has serious options so I compliment Anthony Cunningham um, you could see it in him he was he, he had aggression in the way he was approaching everything that he was doing uh, on Saturday night. and I've seen that with Galway in the past I've seen it up close and personal even when we played in Tipperary in, in practice games Galway really lowered the blade as in they get they get physical and when the game is like that I think Galway can be good. They were like that for the 17, 18 minutes, the first day in Dublin, in Crow Park. Then, they, for some reason, they switched off. But I think they went more attacking last Sunday than they did the previous Sunday. The previous Sunday, Johnny Glynn gave a lot of the time back in the own half-back line. So did Andy Smith. But they defended, but they didn't drop as deep. They actually went attacking. He had attacking in his mind, and he went for blood from the off. Like And uh, look, if they can keep those intensity levels up, and and can keep attacking because they have the players to attack. Uh, Galway for me now are are, are after parachuting themselves into being a top uh, three or four team in this championship. Own oh, brilliant stuff, Malky. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Shane Curran with the kick out. The forty-two-year-old goalkeeper. Curran it out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's fifty yards out from goal. What a day for us, coming. All the mother niggas lame, and you know it now. When the real don't hold you down, you're supposed to drown.
1944 is the last time a senior tiger came out of here. And the one, 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 one be the last one. Bam. What a day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question. Does anybody deserve to lose a dollar in a club final? Give me a tech 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 if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine coming eight down. Jane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub goalie. Two castle barmen and a British man. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of goal. I'm interested there in Owen Kelly. He seemed quite fixated on Anthony Cunningham, the Galway manager, and his aggression pre-match. His to- he was struck by the tone in his pre-match interview and how serious he seemed about the whole thing. Can managers do that? Can managers physically set a tone? I suppose the players aren't going to see the pre-match interview, so that's probably not the best place to do it. But does a, does a player in any sport like to see a manager prowling around there looking slightly... I mean, Brian Cody always looked, always looked and looks a little bit intimidating, Yeah, doesn't he? The way he carries himself on the sideline. I'm, I'm not saying aggressive, but he sure, he sure sort of feels why out of shape. Why aren't there. you saying aggressive? I mean, he is a bit aggressive. I mean, I don't mean, you know, dangerous. Mm. You know, like Brian Cody's a menace. <laughs> like, you better get out of his way or he, he might deck you. But, you know, he is a, a kind of a, a scary man. I mean, Alex Ferguson was a scary man. There's nothing wrong with, with being a scary man. It's a, an essential part of some manager's uh, way of doing things. Derek, you know? Derek McGrath said that, uh, was quite honest there in saying that he got the players too hyped up in the game uh, in, on the bus before the game that he showed them the uh, Borgamani the, his injured players motivational speech and <laughs> unfortunately that got the players a little bit too motivated before they got into the stadium now they fixed it and won the game but uh, it is always that fine line that managers have to have to tread yeah tread, I, I mean it's a, I think it's motivation is, is a, there's a reason it gets talked about so much I mean it's a complicated thing you know I, I do think sometimes motivations can be irrelevant to the game uh, or like uh, sometimes in an attempt to motivate a team, you can start filling their heads with a bunch of irrelevant stuff, which actually confuses and distracts them from what they should be thinking about. That's always a danger. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's not an easy thing to get right on. I'm not going to lecture uh, managers on best practice. Personally, I've got an idea. The Irish Times second, good honesty from Kennedy as well. The Irish Times second captain's football podcast is brimming with good stuff, and it's out now. That's yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six oh, days. I'm going to need it there. I'd say it to you, face, and I'll say it to you now. Come I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> yeah, well, Owen, we're going to talk Champions League final, Ireland against England, and there's one other thing that we talk about... There's one other issue that was going on. What was the other story that was going on over the last 10 days, two weeks or so? Someone was making a lot of news, a lot of headlines. What was it? I say... Football administration. Is there something with football administration? I'll go... Philip Brown, RFU. It's definitely football administration related. Oh, football administration. Sports administration. We talk a lot about... We talk Champions League final, Ireland against England... Football administration. That's uh, what's in the podcast. The Women's World Cup is underway in Canada. ESPN's Jeff Carlisle is over there. Uh, 53,000 fans packing the stadium for the opening match, Jeff. I mentioned this was uh, a largest crowd ever to watch a national team in any sport in Canada. So it seems like the Canadians have taken this competition to their hearts somewhat. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, there's 
obviously, you know, the, the Canadian team had a good showing at, at the 2012 Olympics, you know, winning the bronze medal. So, uh, you know, I think there's a, a lot of excitement and certainly the country is behind their team. You know, we'll see what the attendances are like for, for some of the games not involving Canada. But, um, you know, the, the U.S. game today, I think, is going to get a lot of attention. So, uh, you know, it's uh, the, the tournament's definitely off to a good start, I think. Is women's soccer generally as popular in Canada as it is in the U.S. or no? I wouldn't say as popular, um, but but certainly the the team you know gets quite a bit of traction. So, uh, but it's you know in the U.S. there's just, there's just such a history of supporting women's sports, and uh, you know and certainly uh, you know after the last World Cup, you know and, and then going all the way back to 1999 when. Uh, you know, the U.S. won it uh, on home soil. You know, that was that was certainly a big moment in women's sports uh, in the United States. So, uh, you know, it's uh, but in Canada, it's it's it definitely gets a fair bit of attention. And uh, I think that will only increase as this tournament goes on. Why do you think that is, Jeff? I mean, it strikes me that in, in the United States, certainly um, the, the attitude is a lot more egalitarian, at least formally so, than it is in Europe. I, I remember being at the MLS Cup final and hearing actually you and a couple of other journalists talk about the the World Cup. You weren't even calling it the Women's World Cup. You were just calling it the World Cup. It kind of struck me as though, um, uh, at least from the point of view of media coverage, this was, you know, formally these two things are, are considered to be equal there and in a way that it isn't yet in the rest of the world. Well, I, I think, you know, going back to the 1970s, there was uh, some legislation called Title IX, which... Uh, mandated that, uh, you know, women's sports, you know, if you're getting public funding, you know, from the government, you know, if you're like a university or anything like that, you have to uh, give women's sports uh, equal funding and equal opportunity. And so, uh, you know, I, I think going back to the to the early 1970s, when that legislation was first passed, uh, you had a situation where it was just accepted that, uh, you know, women's sports, you know, I, I wouldn't say it gets as much attention as, as men's sports, but it certainly gets a, a fair bit, and so uh, it's it's not unusual, to, especially at the collegiate level, to see uh, you know women's sports being broadcast, whether it's women's basketball or, or softball or, or or women's soccer. So uh, you know, I, I think it started there, and then I, I also think that the popularity of the women's team that emerged uh, in, in the late 1990s, I think I think that only added to it, and uh, you, you had some real. You know, marquee names on the team like Mia Hamm, you know, like Brandy Chastain. Uh, you know, they they became not only sport, you know, common sports figures, but huge marketing powerhouses as well. And so, uh, I, I think from that point, it, it just uh, it just continued. Just uh, talk to us a bit about the figures involved here, Jeffy. I mean, looking at um, the information that I can see here is that uh, in 2011, um, the Women's World Cup. Uh, made it all of $5.8 million um, from the sale of TV rates. The men's equivalent last year is $1.4 billion. I mean, how do you explain a disparity that big? It, it looks as though the women's tournament, well, it, on the face of when you look at those figures, it looks as though the women's tournament is being hugely undervalued. Is that still the case? You know, I think so. But, um, you know, 2011 was interesting just because it, it kind of came at a low ebb for the women's game in the United States. Um, you know, we were talking about, you know, kind of, you know, uh, players who had kind of transcended the sport a little bit. And, and, and certainly, at least with the U.S. women's team, they, they were missing that a little bit. But then that was a tournament where Morgan you know, really emerged. There was, there was a lot of drama around that tournament, you know, with you know, the U.S., you know, 
tying Brazil in the quarterfinals in the last seconds of extra time despite playing a player down. So, you know, I, I think the, the U.S. team kind of recaptured the imagination. And so I, I think you'll see uh, I think you'll see the, the rights for, for broadcast and, and things like that accelerate again um, when, when, you know, in 2011, they, they kind of experienced a low period. There were a lot of complaints at the time, though, that the, this World Cup, the matches are being played on turf, on artificial turf, and that this just wouldn't happen for in the men's game. And I mean, clearly it wouldn't. The claims that players are making was that you're more likely to become injured. I know this was countered by, uh, by some of the authorities who say that uh, FIFA in particular have uh, commissioned all these pro-zone statistics to say that, look, there's no greater increase of uh, incidence of injuries on this kind of surface. That, I presume that's all died down by this stage. Does it devalue, take away anything from the tournament that it's being played on this surface? Or has it even died down? Is it still being talked about? It's still being talked about a little bit, but I, I think the the focus of the conversation has shifted a little bit. You know, it's... You know the tournament's been expanded to 24 teams, so there's there's an extra knockout round this time. So there's seven games. You know if you're going to make it all the way to the final, and you know there's you hear more talk about fatigue, you know, and how you know you're not going to be able to to play the same 11 players throughout the tournaments, and uh, you know it's, you know you talk about like turf burn, you know, from from doing slide tackles on, on the surface. So, uh, but I think it will only take one serious injury for you know some of those other issues to crop up again. But uh, yeah, for the moment, the, the, the focus of the, of the conversation has shifted a bit. This is the first uh, tournament to feature 24 teams. Um, I saw that there has already been a blowout Germany beating the Ivory Coast 10-0. I mean, it's not unheard of uh, for these things. I mean, the Confederations Cup last year, uh, or two years ago, rather, Spain beat Tahiti at 10-0. People were wondering whether really uh, it was meaningful to organise a competition that featured... The likes of a match between Spain and Tahiti um, has expansion maybe come a little bit too soon? If Germany were able to to run up a score like ten nil in the World Cup, certainly you could make that argument. But you know, at the same time, you know how how do you grow the women's game? I mean, you know, I think so many federations around the world really don't fund their women's team hardly at all. And so, you know, I, I can remember when, when World Cups were expanded on the men's side. You know, I think, you know, I, I'm thinking back to 1982. I think there was a 10-1. Yeah, hungry, uh, there was a 10-1 game. And, and so, you know, I think it's a question of, you know, how do you, you know, bring these women's programs up to speed? And I, I think exposing them to the World Cup is a way to do that. It's a way to get more funding. It's a way for federations in places around the world that, that don't take women's sport that seriously to, to maybe open their eyes a little bit and, and, and see some value in it. So uh, I, I don't think this is the, that was the last game that's going to be a blowout. I, I think there will be others. Um, I was actually a little surprised that the, the Thailand's, you know, Norway score wasn't a little bit more lopsided. Um, but, you know, and, and you think, you know, I remember um, – when World Cup qualifying in South America, you know, was expanded to, to, to be kind of this, this marathon, you know, home and home, you know, type competition. And, you know, a lot of people said, you know, well, the likes of Venezuela, you know, it's, you know, they really, really shouldn't be, you know, you know, having, you know, the, the big team shouldn't have to, to, to going to Venezuela and Bolivia all the time. But, you know, you've seen how those programs on the men's side have, 
have really improved and gotten more funding and, and more attention. So I, I think the hope is that the same will happen on the women's side. Yeah, I, mean, I, I suppose the fact that Germany also beat Brazil seven one tends to weaken any argument based on <laughs> based on blowouts. But um, is there is there an issue here that FIFA should be looking at? Because say, for instance, the prize money for uh, Brazil or the the prize money rather for the World Cup winners in Brazil, I think, was thirty two million dollars more than the prize money for uh, Japan in twenty eleven. Um, should FIFA not be saying, actually, the distribution needs to be more equitable? Sure, uh, FIFA is making a lot more money from selling the men's tournament. That's the way things are at the moment. But that the, dis- the, the distribution of money from FIFA uh, should be more equitable between the men's and women's game, even if the income currently is not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a case to be made for that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how how the game grows, you know, we'll see if these, these, uh, initiatives to, to, you know, expand the size of the tournament and, and see if there's a little bit of a trickle down effect, you know, that, that maybe would, uh, would, would validate increasing the prize money. But, um, you know, I, at, at this point, I, I think it's, it's a little tough to make that argument. You know, like you said, I mean, that just the, the amount of money that comes in on the men's side, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't see that changing in the near future, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, long term, I, I think you can see that changing and, and, uh, and, you know, the prize money definitely being a little bit more equitable. All right, Jeff Carlisle, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Amelia. Hey, th- no problem. Thanks. I say I'm a million percent. That is better than a hundred percent. Jeff Carlisle there for ESPN, who's in Winnipeg for the USA-Australia match. That's their first game. What was that comparison you were making prize money-wise, Ken? Um, oh, yeah. I gobbled it a bit. But basically, the German team that won the World Cup, the prize money was about $35 million. Hmm. But the Japan team that won the World Cup in 2011, the Women's World Cup, got a million. Oh, yeah. So it was a big difference, uh, obviously. I mean, in, in fact, the difference isn't as big as the difference between the what the men's World Cup makes an in income and what the women's World Cup makes an in income, but um, it is uh, it is a very very big uh, multiple. Just on that issue of the the surface, right? In October last year, eighty four players, including some of the biggest stars, uh, Abby Wambach, who was mentioned there, filed a, a lawsuit against FIFA in Canada's Court of Human Rights, citing risk of in, injury and gender discrimination. This was in terms of the surfaces they have to play on. In the end, the case never quite got off the ground. FIFA remained resolute. I'm obviously reading from a story here. By January this year, uh, essentially the players decided. It seemed like at some stage decided they just go ahead with the case. Jerome Valk again yeah. pops up in this story. Oh, yeah. He says it could be sooner rather than later that men's World Cup will also be played on artificial pitches. Well, he's, he's probably right. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't see why not. Well, you, well, you get carpet burn, that's why. Well, I've seen We've these pitches. We've all got I've that. seen these pitches. You get it under, under the knee, you get it right on the, on the, on the hip. I've Depends seen, on which way you do I've your slide tackles. I don't, I don't even right. know if you. I don't even know if you do anymore from these pitches on. I'm not uh, getting paid well, by. Well, one of the American players tweeted a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she seemed to be. Oh, it was actually more recent than that. She could have been training over in Canada, and there were a nice few carpet burns right the way down her leg. I'm calling them carpet burns. I mean, that's the. I'm sure that's a slang term. I don't yeah, know how. We know. We all know. We all know what you're talking about. I mean, I have seen one of these pitches quite. You recently. can't twist your. There and it depends on the quality of them. And there's different types of astro. I'm sure there are people who who make these pitches possibly listen to the podcast saying they're perfectly fine. But mm. I've heard a lot of lads who I would have trained with struggling. Their knees would be in a bad way after training on astroturf, and they'd be fine if they're training on grass, for mm. example. Um, well, I mean, there are different. There are obviously different grades of it, and I imagine it's an, it's improving. 
all the time. I mean, when Valk says in the future this could happen, I, don't, I, I imagine, yeah, it could. I mean, who knows what these, what these pitches are going to be like. I mean, I was at the University of British Columbia um, a couple of weeks ago. I went to see... Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, to see um, a couple of... I went over to visit my cousin in Vancouver, you know, and I met up with him. I met up with a few of his friends, and they play, like, in the um, like soccer league there. And it's interesting, actually. It's like seven-a-side league, and uh, the rule is that you have to have two of each gender on the field, uh, at least two of each gender on the field at all times. At all times, right? So they and they're playing on what well, I mean. They, it's turf, is what they call it. But I've never seen anything like it in Ireland. I mean, it's kind of a higher, you know, those little black rubbery bits. Mm-hmm. None of those, right? <laughs> I don't know. how. Um, it looked like a pretty good service. There weren't too many crunching slide tackles going in. I have to say, <laughs> in this game. You know, it was a good. It was a good game. I mean, it was. It was just interesting the rules on gender as well. I mean, do we have a league? Do we have a league like that in in uh, Ireland at all? Not to my knowledge, but I could actually, I thought it, it was. Um, well, at, at, at younger age groups, certainly they tried to encourage a lot more boys and girls playing together. Yeah, this was. These, these were like adults playing. There's also tag rugby. It was good. I mean, they, they, you know, they played. They self referee the matches. I mean, this is an organised league. Mm. This is not. This is not some joke. You know, you have to turn up for your game every every week at the same time. But like you, you, you call your own fouls sometimes. No. Maybe, yeah, you do. Yeah, call your own fouls because I mean it's it's fair play. It's about fair play. And yeah, but at then the gets, end, oh. oh yeah, Alan, you would you would be you would become notorious if you were playing in the in the in the fun league in Vancouver. You have to award the other team fun points at the end. Fun points. Yeah. For what? For sporting behaviour. No. For playing the game in the There's right, a fun point in the right spirit. How many fun points equal a goal? Well, does a goal get you fun points? Well, a goal will get you points. Could you win a game one nil and concede so many fun points that you're? I think you concede. maybe could. I think you maybe could. It might. It might not just be zero fun points, but also an email to the league admin saying, you know, this guy's I no think fun. yeah, there's, there's a bit, there's a bit of a problem here. There's a serious fun vortex uh, <laughs> at the University of British Probably Columbia the only last way of having night. Fun when people are playing a fun. lot of people yeah. went home in tears. Uh, <laughs> you know. That that whole thing of calling your own fouls, I suppose that would, um, you could see that. That's the kind of system that could break down. But people try and play the game in the right spirit. And that's what it's about. It's, it's about promoting, it's about promoting a spirit of fair play and, and togetherness. And Owen, when I was there, everybody was having an amazing time. Our football podcast is already out. Emma Malone and John Delaney amongst the topics there. So enjoy that one. Thanks very much for listening to this. Thank you, Ken. Uh, thank you too, Owen. Check out secondcaptains.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains. Take What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.